too much. Let's talk a little bit. You don't eat much, you don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening. This is the Just Listening Podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Okay, everybody, welcome to the show today. This is Just Listening. I am Eric John, and I gotta tell you about Yacht Club Soda. Yacht Club Soda is by far the best artisan soda you've ever had. Get to yachtclubsoda.com today and check out some of the flavors they have. They've got blue raspberry, root beer, cream, strawberry, roadie red. This company has been around for over 100 years. It is Rhode Island's official soda, but you don't have to live in Rhode Island to enjoy this amazing soda. You can go to yachtclubsoda.com, and as long as you live in the continental United States, you can order this amazing drink, have it shipped right to you. You can mix, you can match, you can pick whatever flavors you want. John Scambato over at Yacht Club Soda will send it over to you. Don't be left without Yacht Club Soda at your summer barbecue. Go to yachtclubsoda.com today and order some for yourself. Okay, on the show today, I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, We have Melissa Wagner. So uh, Melissa uh, ran a hair salon in California uh, for, for many years and also during COVID. And I really wanted to talk to her about what her experience was like Um running a small business, uh, and specifically a hair salon, um, during the COVID lockdowns and, um, you know, what, what the result of those lockdowns were, uh, what her experience was, um, and what she's up to today. Um, so, uh, right now she's, uh, I can tell you, she is working with her husband, Gary, uh, uh, who is a pretty big deal on YouTube. Uh, if you've ever heard of the channel Nerdrotic, um, that's, uh, that's what they do. So, um, Melissa, Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, you know, I think that, you know, people's stories around um, what it was like to run a business during the COVID mania. Um, you know, there's so many stories, but they're, to me, they're not the stories everyone's hearing, um, you know, especially at the time. Um, and as someone who, you know, has a family business myself, um, you know, I, I kind of have a good sense of what it was like, um, but not nearly to the extent I think you had, um, you know, the, the salon industry in particular, it was hit very, very hard by this whole experience. So before we get into all of that, um, I'd love for you just to talk about what your, what your business was, where it was, um, sort of pre pandemic and, um, how you got into it and, you know, what you, what you built it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, San Francisco was hit particularly hard during COVID and pre pandemic, I had my own salon. I, uh, started out working in the biggest hair only salon in San Francisco and did my apprenticeship there and worked there for nearly a decade before sort of venturing out on my own. And I opened a small studio just off Union Square there in the city. And I had a really solid follow to this little tiny place. And um, my guy that worked with me, he was a, a booth renter. And I mean, it was it's literally like 350 square feet. It was a tiny studio. And that was our first location. 
And there was one weekend, I think, where we did 56 services. <laughs> Three of us did 56 services out of this little tiny place one Saturday. And I started looking for a new location. And that's when I opened uh, my second bigger spot in the very posh neighborhood of Pacific Heights in San Francisco. Um, you know, going downtown was always fun, but I sort of feel like if you're going to be in a neighborhood, Pacific Heights was definitely the neighborhood to be in. It was like basically opening a student, like a nice salon in Beverly Hills. And what, what caused you to decide to go into business for yourself as opposed to just being, you know, being a hairstylist working for someone else? Well, I actually really liked the company that I worked for, for the first 10 years, but, um, the economy started not doing so well and the leadership in the salon, and I was the creative director at the time. Um, so the, when I say leadership, that just means the owners, right? Cause that right. was sort of like the only, right. I was, I was director of the color education program and I was the creative director overall for the salon. So the leadership just sort of wanted to stay in a more, a commercial sort of groove. And I kind of felt like they weren't growing creatively and they weren't creative industry leaders. They were business industry leaders. They did, you know, quite well. It was, and it, it, there was a lot of opportunity there, but um, creatively, I sort of felt like the people that led the way and sort of like burnt that direction they had sort of fallen away and weren't there anymore. So, um, and I just remember kind of going like, you know, it's hard to be a creative director in something that's very commercial. And right. that's where I sort of started feeling like, okay, we're going to, we're going to probably have to part ways. And I was also was very encouraged by my dad to, do my own thing. He had his own business. We, I grew up in his family business, which was, you know, the moving and storage industry, not very glamorous, but, um, everyone needs it when they, when they need <laughs> yeah. it, you know, yeah. they, everyone's looking for it. So I, I, you know, it was really, it came in real handy moving to Texas. I'll tell you. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And yeah. we're going to get to that part of the story. Yeah. Where I'm like, I packed up the kitchen today, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and we're ready to go. So, you know, my dad, he visited me one day at work when I'm in this big booming and it was like a huge salon, right. And just bustling. And he looked around kind of went, well, if you're that good, why don't you have your own salon? And I was like, dad, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's so for him, it wasn't enough to be like, you know, the big fish in the pond, like it was, he was really all about sort of entrepreneurship and, and, you know, and watching him go through that and, and start his own business, I knew it wasn't easy and I knew what it entailed. And, um, the ownership of that salon was very confident in that anybody who left would not be able to really compete with them because most people leave there not really fully understanding how all-encompassing business ownership is. But because I grew up in a household that, and in, you know, working with my dad in his office and in the field, like I knew what it really took to have a business and exactly how much grinding it took. And I probably worked, um, six days a week, uh, 10, 11 hours a day for the first three years that I had my business. 
It sounds about right. <laughs> really, ma- yeah, to really maximize it, um, and also throw in there that I had a baby. Right, not not easy by any means, and you know it kind of makes no. sense to me that um, you did have that background, even just from your family. Um, you know, it, it's amazing to me. You know, so many people, uh, most people I that I talk to. Um, have no experience, um, even if it's a family member uh, who runs a business. So they don't have any sense of what it's like to be an entrepreneur um, and how hard it really is and, and how much risk there is and how much stress there is and how much time re- you're really putting into it. Um, people seem to have this weird idea that like a business owner just sits around and counts money all day. Um, they do, yeah. Right? And, I, and it, they really do. And so um, it makes it almost makes sense to me that that, you know, you had that backing, how important, explain to people how important it is when you are starting a business, um, especially for the first time, how important it is to have the support and backing of, you know, the most important people in your life, your family, your husband, your significant other, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's important to understand their their perspective in order for things to work well because I'm gonna say that I although my dad was really supportive of me having my own business I think the fact that I you know had a baby the same year that I opened a salon um I had a a lot of support and a really great following from my client base uh, I think it was really, really hard on my family. I think that they at times probably wish that I hadn't undertaken that much. But to me, that is sort of fuel for the fire too. Like, uh, it's like, oh yeah, you watch me do this and I'm going to really like, and I'm going to kick its ass. Like, so uh, even when I felt like people weren't behind it a hundred percent or, you know, certain people were just waiting for me to fail or, you know, like, the old bosses, like we're waiting, you know, cause I wasn't the only one who ventured out and opened my own salon. So when the other salons closed and this one closed and that one closed and mine was the one that kind of kept powering through, you know, little over little Melissa over in that little tiny studio, but, you know, having, having the small team really kept me, um, a little bit more malleable. I was able to pivot a lot more quickly when the economy was bad. And how how important also is it to, you know, as a business owner to find things that motivate you? I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you don't have that, um, you know, you don't have that motivator of like, I don't want to get fired, right? Because, you you know, you, you have that motivator <laughs> of like... I can't get, I can't get fired. Well, that's the thing is like being a hairdresser, and I, I've talked about this with coaches, like, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, being a hairdresser offers you successes on the hour. Right. It also offers you failure on the hour. Right. So people think I don't have a boss. No, I have 200 bosses. That is Because a, I have a big fat clientele and they are a bunch of type A people just that like is me. so and true. Yep. Yeah. So that to me, it's like I have more bosses than anybody. And also like I had a lot invested in my, um, in my craft when I, started beauty school um I I was an art major first so I was an art major for a couple years and all I did was sort of expand my repertoire of having a lot of really expensive hobbies like jewelry making and photography (laughs) and I was like oh I like all of it so I wasn't really developing my own style 
So I wanted to push pause on that um, and do something that was creative that I could make money. And also it wasn't in a studio all day. I found, you know, being an art major was a little bit hermetic, like, you know, you're in a dark room, you're in a studio, you're in a, and, and to me that would, that didn't really fit my party girl persona where being (laughs) a hairdresser certainly did. Well, so it sounds like it worked out really well. You, you started this business, you cultivated it, you put a lot of time and effort into it. You had a newborn baby. Um, it started to grow, it started to succeed. And then, you know, so let's, let's come up to, now March of 2020. Um, what you know? What was your reaction initially um, when the, the the first series of regulations and lockdowns and and hearing you know hearing that someone's saying you're a non-essential business those kinds of things? Uh, like, oh, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Every right. Every single day. Yeah. And well, how did that how did that make you yeah. you know how did that make you feel as a you know someone who poured so much into this place? Well, first of all, my clients disagree about me being non-essential. And I'm like, what I do is like grooming. Like it's, you know what I mean? There's a lot of health benefits to what I do. So it just seemed to me like to just, just offhand and carelessly just start referring to people as non-essential was abusive. And especially when, you know, Gavin's Newsom's wife did not miss a highlight appointment. And it was obvious from her Instagram posts. She had to turn off the comments on her posts at, at one point because in the middle of all this, it was so obvious she had not missed a hair appointment. <laughs> and, there was a there was and, a big scandal. About it. Yeah. There was a big scandal here in Rhode Island, actually. At the, um, same thing with, with our governor, um, who was going on TV, of course, all the time. And um, people were picking up on the same sort of thing. And, you know, the excuse was, oh, this is done at the studio, you know, where we're doing the filming. It's not a, a you know private hair salon. And then what's the difference? Exactly. Then, of course, people ask the obvious question. Well, then what's the difference? You know, what's and, the difference? This, this right. is the thing is like people don't understand before I did three years of apprenticeship to be a chemical specialist and like, you know, work with color the way that I do. I did sixteen hundred hours plus a five, six hundred dollar test, like a practical test in safety and sanitation. I'm licensed in safety and sanitation. But Gavin, Jerry Brown and Arnold Schwarzenegger all sat down at the table to decide how I was going to operate. So, I mean, it must have been such a feeling initially of, of powerlessness, I have to imagine. Yeah, you know. There was, there was, and also being somebody who worked the way that I did and at the, at the rate that I did, and I loved my job, like loved it. Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, a lot of people would definitely say I was a workaholic, but it was really like just very, very passionate about what I did. It was my creative output. It was my people thing. It was very validating. It was like my, it's my culture. Um, being a hairdresser was, you know, is, was just my, my thing. So, um, so working day in and day out at the rate that I did to all of a sudden have that cut off, I was cut off from my clients. 
I was cut off from my creativity. It's like taking arms off. Like I can't create anything. Right. I'm cut off from my salon family that I see day in and day out, eight, nine, 10 hours a day, five days a week. Like just, they're, they're just like, now I can call them. We can have like a zoom meeting and talk about what, you know, it's just, it was just having it all sort of ripped away. So how long were, um, how long was the period of which where your, your place just had to be legitimately shut down before you could even contemplate opening back up again? Um, and then, of course, opening up with all kinds of, you know, wild uh, restrictions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm glad you asked that question, because this this is where it all sort of pivoted. All the salons in the country could operate except for New York and San Francisco. Basically really? California. Yeah. So See, in I didn't San I didn't know that at all. That's in yes, there was a there was a map that kept getting put up and it was showed like where salons were open and where they were closed. And they were closed in New York and basically like, you know, the cities and stuff in California. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm over here on the East Coast and I, I remember very vividly the whole uh, <laughs> brouhaha around uh, Nancy Pelosi showing up to get her hair done and right. it being on camera. Um, and that was after that was after. So if you look look, you should like look and see how long your salons were closed for. A lot of people go, oh, my God, they were closed for eight weeks or 12 weeks. We were closed in San Francisco for eight Months. Yeah, it's a, it was and a long there time. There was a point, and it was before Nancy Pelosi got caught. There was a point one day where we were we were all set to open. They gave us a reopening date. So everybody invested in this reopening date. So what right. I did is I was like, okay, if we're not gonna have as much stations. I'm going to put some more money into retail. People aren't going out as much. They're not able to go shopping. They're not able to do this. So I like changed the layout, changed the flow of the salon. And in San Francisco, it's very expensive. And, right. you know, space is at a premium. So if you're not putting out a certain amount of like, you know, clients every day, then you have to make up for it somewhere. So I was like, okay, we'll make this little shop and and we'll have some things that, you know, that they need and some things that they want. And, you know, we'll put that all together. So I basically invested, um, ordered things, uh, rearranged things. Uh, in the meanwhile, while I'm in there working in the salon by myself, because we're not allowed to work together. Right. So when I'm in there uh, by myself getting this stuff all set up, I had literally had police knocking on my door of the salon because I had a street wow. level salon. I had them watching my salon. See, that's that's to make sure I'm not taking clients. That's hard for see. That's I I've heard again. I've heard some stories like that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, where I and where so, I live, uh-huh. you know, it wasn't to that level of oppression. Like there were police at the supermarkets making sure people had their masks on and stuff like that. But like it wasn't it wasn't really to that level. And of course, you know, in places like San Francisco, New York City, um, it was in what well, a lot of people don't understand too when when it comes to business so much of it is is having a sense of predictability yes. and so when someone says you know okay you'll be able to open up on this date at this time under these parameters or whatever and so you spend x amount of time preparing for that and investing time and money into that and then to keep having things be 
thrown up in the air and having the rug right. pulled out from under you is it's brutal. Yeah. So when you take out a PPP loan and you have this much money to like, okay, I'm going to put it into some of this payroll. I'm going to pay, you know, everybody's health insurance. I'm going to do that, you know, and, and we put that all together. And then to be told, no, that's not happening. What was your reaction to the whole aspect of this where it seemed like the big corporations got to continue pretty much doing what they were doing, right? Like, like oh my God, that was ridiculous. Yeah, so talk a little bit about ridiculous. that, just like, the frustration around I could go to Target. I could go to Target? Right, exactly. But I can't do hair in my studio. And the thing is, in San Francisco, it's so expensive you can't just do hair in a studio in Pacific Heights by yourself, like with me and a client. Right. Like that's just not going to be profitable. It's not going to pay the rent. So I could see the writing on the wall. And I was like, even when we reopen, it is going to be so limited because, you know, this is a basically a let them eat cake sort of situation where they, you know, everything's being run by people that, have trust funds and went to Ivy league schools. And you know what I mean? They're, they're right. people that have never lived paycheck to paycheck. Right. So they have no fucking idea what they're doing. And whenever and you're when running a business, it's small. Whenever business, you're running a business, yeah, it's, it's everything's paycheck to paycheck in the sense that like you yeah, have bills. You, gotta be, you have right. to be nimble. Yep. Like all I have to do is break one finger. Yep. That's right. <laughs> and I would, and I wouldn't have, you know, and, and we were, and we were operating like totally above board charging top dollar um we had disability insurance we've got you know what i mean we had we had it all like you know positioned really really well and i had a full team like it was very very it had finally gotten to a place where it was really really comfortable and it was all going to be gone so we called the staff in all together and you know to tell them that that we were closing and you know, and I think that we all sort of took it really hard. Like I haven't gone back to doing hair. And part of the reason I haven't gone back to doing hair is because just starting doing it reminds me of the whole thing in such a way where I'm like, I cannot believe that one in a country like America, <laughs> that's like, you know, it's fa- that somebody's going to tell me not to work. Right. Right. And somebody's going to tell me that I'm not essential because I assure you my my kids eating is pretty essential. And they're like, well, you should take unemployment. You should do this PPP. You should take out more loans. But uh, there was no guarantee that those that PPP after the first one, there was not a guarantee that your second one or your third one. Well, it's also completely it's completely uh, antithetical to an entrepreneur's whole being and spirit. The whole idea is that you, you don't want to rely on someone else or something else for your, you know, for, for your well-being and for your, you know, to, to, to make a living. You, you want to do it yourself. Yeah, so, it's, so it's. That's why it's your independent. But also when all that money started going out, you could see how much money was getting paid out to these corporations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. That were still operating. Right. It's mind blowing. <laughs> it really is. That was where I was. That's where I was like, oh, they're they're just trying to destroy the economy now. Like to, to me, that doesn't make sense. So we have it. We had a joke in the salon um, about our, our business plan. Right. And I'm like, you know, going into doing I worked at a hair salon. I opened a hair salon and somebody was like, well, you have a business plan. Right. And I said, yeah, sure. And for a joke one time, 
when I, I had a, a business partner who's got a great sense of humor and I put together a binder and I filled it with paper <laughs> and the first page of this business plan said, make more money than you spend. <laughs> That's it. That's pretty and much. My <laughs> second page, yeah, and the second page said, do good hair so people come back. That's it. And that was a hundred percent my business plan. All the other pages were so. Plain. What so what um what was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back in the sense that like where you just felt like okay you know this 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 business is not going to survive this climate um and we have to close and also when did you guys think about like we need to move out of here and, and go someplace else? Well, first of all. That's like a couple of parts there. One, like the straw that broke the camel's back, I'm probably going to say, you know, Gavin out to dinner at French Laundry with his lobbyists. That was a big one. So that that literally, after that, you were like, that's it. Um, I'm done. It, it's like, you, you, like <laughs> I, Kimberly Guilfoyle used to be one of my models. Like Gavin Newsom used to come into the, one of the salons that I worked at, you know, every month to get his hair cut. Like, you know what I mean? It's somebody you would pass him and say like, oh, hey, how's it going? Jerry Brown's wife, Ann Gust, was a client of mine for years. Like, you know what I mean? Right. These these people are unfamiliar to me. Like if we see each other on the street, like, you know, it's a it's a familiar face kind right. of thing. Right, wow. And, and so just to, to be like, he's out at dinner and none of them have masks on. Because it was, and you know, that's where I started to go, this is all bullshit. This is all bullshit. Anybody, I'm sorry, but anybody who's seen the Dallas Buyers Club and can just take the government and the pharmaceutical companies and stuff at their word and think that this was like, oh my God, we're all going to die. I'm all, obviously we're not because they're out to dinner to French at French Laundry. Right. Nobody there looked like they were scared they were going to die. And People acting like, you know, 100% getting this is a death sentence. Like just the the fear mongering and stuff that's out there. I'm all, obviously that's not true because the hairdressers in Hollywood are operating. Like that it's, it doesn't make any sense because they're, you know what? It does because they're not right. scared. It's sort of like, it's sort they're of like worried. when all the, uh, all the heads of all the big social media companies like won't let their kids use social media. Right. It's like, like it's like what it's like a clear signal. Exactly like this that. is a very clear signal yes. as to, you know, what's really going on here. I, I can remember um, it was in the, it was just the summer of 2020. So this was, um, you know, in the thick of it all. Um, and of course, it was during um, when, you know, a lot of the all the protests were happening that summer. And um, our, our governor came out. And of the state house, you know, where there was a big protest and went out into a big, big, big crowd of people, you know, without a mask on um, and spoke and did all this stuff. And, you know, you're watching this and you're like, what, what, what is this? Like, what is going on here? You know, and, and right. are, are all the all the pictures of them doing these meetups and. And then in the next shot, they all have their masks off and they're shaking hands. Right. Yeah. Or like you'll like see how many the, um, times did we you'll see, see a press conference or like an official press conference. And then there's like video leaks of like where you see the person standing just like off stage and they're like yep. putting the mask on before they go on stage. Like, uh -huh. you know, and yeah, I think that stuff that stuff really started to um, reach a lot of people. Um, and I think 
I really do think that Gavin uh, Newsom French laundry moment that was big, like even on our side of the country, like um, that was I think that was a big moment for a lot of people, not just people in California. Um, and to, to sort of really be like, what is going on here? Um, and so that so so. And then the Nancy Pelosi thing happened. So a lot of stuff happened oh. before the Nancy Pelosi right. thing. And so the day that Nancy Pelosi, um, the day that that came out and she got framed. Yeah, and <laughs> she, like, she like, blamed the, uh, the owner of the business. She was framed. I'm like, the person didn't the person didn't call you to book your hair appointment. That's not how that works. <laughs> and right. if you want to tell me that you don't know what's going on in your own territory, well, that's really worrisome because you know you're supposed to be in charge of it during a pandemic. Was it was it even with all this going on and uh, all of this? Um, was it still hard to leave a place like you've lived for so long and that you called home and and all that? Was it still really hard to do that? It kind of wasn't because at this point in the evening, I'd sit out on my stoop and look out over the city and I just started going like, this place is a fucking powder keg. Was it, had it really, um, is it a sort of situation where it, it changed so much over the course of the time you had been there? Like, I'm sure you mo- ori- originally decided to live there um, or um, did you grow up there or did you move there at some point? No, I was, I, you know, I, I was in San Diego and where Gary oh, okay. was. Like we went, we were, we were down there, but I moved to San Francisco 10 years or so ahead of him. So I lived in San Francisco for 30 years and it was the most vibrant, coolest, open-minded, like, it's like the, the most fun place to live in my twenties. It was, it was And then awesome. it just, it's one of those things um, where it just, it like, it wasn't even recognizable to you anymore at a, at a certain point. It wasn't recognizable. The fentanyl thing is like, and this is another thing. It's like so many more people have died of fentanyl and nobody's, yep. nobody's like putting some big kibosh right. on that. Yeah. Right. That's another, more another great point. Fentanyl overdose, then COVID in San Francisco, and that doesn't seem to be a problem. They they still haven't tried to tackle it. They don't care. The ho- the, the homelessness is out of control. The looting is out of control. And when it, and you know my oldest um, was living back with us at the time because you know everything shut down, um, and you know. My baby is six foot four and he couldn't walk down to Walgreens and back without having an issue. So I was like, I sent him down the store one time. I was like, what took so long? And he goes, oh, it was being robbed. So when you see those videos of like the looting and stuff and all the cabinets locked up, like that's not exaggerated at all well that's good to know because i think i think for a lot of people that's what they think they think you know oh well we're just seeing it's not exaggerated no they're not going down like finding some pocket of like the worst street under a freeway no that's golden gate park they're not going to some like crazy walgreens in the hood or some whole foods in the hood and trying to find something that's like really scary no that's the one that's downtown or that's the one that's in my neighborhood or, you know what I mean? That's just all of them. And it, I mean, it's to the point now um, I, where the homeless are in Pacific Heights, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they've kind of like spread out and kind of gotten 
it, like everything's been very affected. And during COVID, I think it was 60% of businesses closed. It's that is it's so you unbelievable have so many, statistic. Yeah, you have so many and empty storefronts for these people just to like camp out in. And right. You know, you have the people that 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 wasn't their business going, where's your, where's your empathy? <laughs> right. Yeah, and exactly. I'm like, yeah, well, right. I, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to go look for my empathy somewhere else. I'm sure I lost it over here. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so true. It's so true. Um, yeah, right. Like, yeah. How about- <laughs> so it just started, it started to feel dangerous. Yeah. Um, and when things start to feel dangerous for your kids, right. It makes it real easy to pack. I, you know what? That's in, yes. I, you know what? I can, I, and I can understand that. Thankfully I haven't, um, I haven't been in that situation and I'm sure I, I can only imagine that that would make it easy, um, to pack up and move. Did, um, did most of your clients, um, were they like calling you up being like, I can't believe this. Like I, you know, I just want to come get my hair done. Like, like, did you find that most people, um, especially your clients were kind of like, even from the beginning, sort of like, I don't know about all this stuff. This seems kind of nuts or were, you know, did a lot of them you know, get really scared and get really afraid of, you know, what at the government and everyone was telling them was this really scary thing. Mm-hmm. I, I would say I have a really, di- I had a really diverse clientele, so I can't say it was like this or like that. I felt like it was very individualized, but overall I'm going to say people were operating from a place of caution. Right. I had a a friend of mine had a really good uh, analogy, I guess, for lack of a better term that he used. And, um, you know, he said there there are just some people like you could have you could have told them that, you know, covid wouldn't live, you know, below like three feet up from the ground, you know, and you would have seen there would be people even today crawling around on the ground to try to avoid it. Like, it's just, there's just some people who will just, no matter what, they're just, they're, they were scared shitless by this, by all this stuff. Um, and no amount of hypocrisy or videos coming out would change their mind and still, and still probably won't. I still see people, uh, I saw someone today, I went for a walk today and I saw somebody walking down the street with a mask on outside by themselves. And I just don't even know what to think at this point. Um, what, what was it like? First, moving into Texas, just explain the the difference in environment. Was, was it like immediately you were just like, wow, this is already just so much better in terms of the environment? Oh, my God. Yeah. It, it, it is so much better here. <laughs> like, it's just 100% been a humongous relief. Um, the businesses are doing really well. So where San Francisco is dead last coming back after covid dead last you know when you're talking you know ec- right. the economy yep um i feel like texas hasn't skipped a b and you know i i did say to one of my clients um you know i and surprisingly you know people aren't wearing masks people aren't really worried about it people aren't you know they're still gathering they're still doing this and can you believe they have the nerve to not be dead <laughs> right <laughs> and 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 this very you know it's i charge a high price i have a lot of people that are very well educated you know sitting in my chair and 
they are like, you know, I have to say that the statistics are, they're really close together. So it just is to me, that shows it's not making that much of a right, exactly. Yeah. Like in what right. people are doing. And so many people were just tweeting like, oh, my God, everybody in Texas is going to I remember those days. Like, yep. In Florida, yeah, too. And, yep, I, and I yep. feel and I feel like. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like remember in Finding Nemo, they're like, did you die? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, you know, what? it wasn't it's just like, it wasn't just uh, people on Twitter. It was also uh, the president of the United States at the time who, you know, was I can remember very vividly. I think this was I think and I think this was 2000, uh, 2000 22, I think, even as late as that was talking about a long, dark winter ahead, you know, and, and all this stuff and that um, talking about Florida being, you know, being a, a hellscape, you know, of, of just piled up dead bodies. And, you know, it's like, how can yeah, you they were they were ready. They were ready for piles of dead bodies. They were. And obviously, whatever they had engineered was not as effective as they thought it would be. It's yeah, it's still what what. So what do you think, you know, and obviously this is so much of this is speculation, but like just as someone who went through all of this and was affected by it very personally and very intimately affected um, by all this stuff and who obviously as a result is paying very close attention to everything. Um, what's your gut on why, like why all this happened the way that it did? Um, do you think it's, you know, stupidity? Do you think it's malicious? Um, do you think it was, you know, do you think it was in any way based on people with good intentions doing stupid things? Like, like, what is your gut tell you here? Well, I will say I definitely miss the days where I did hair all day long and talked about makeup and didn't have to pay attention to these things. Right. <laughs> That's I, right. I miss that very, very, I miss that very deeply. Yep. Um, so now as somebody who has a lot of free time to look at things and read things, you know, I had one of my clients visit me here at the house and she said, you guys don't have the news on. And I said, no, <laughs> I said, we do not have the news on. I said, you know what? We're all in our rooms and offices in this house. And then we sit down at dinner and we compare notes. They're like, did you see this thing? Did you hear right. this thing? Did you see this tweet? Did you do that? And it's like, and we're all really sort of tapped into different aspects of current events and and how things are playing out and what the timeline really looks like. And I would, I mean, honestly, I think if you're somebody who sits home and you have Fox News on, you're you're in. A tunnel. Uh, absolutely. If you're somebody who yeah. Sits around and you have I, CNN. I on, totally agree. You're in yep. a tunnel, and this is one of the things that I've been I've been trying to reach out to people and sort of say now is that Gary and I joke like when we I swear we were liberal when we went to bed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, like you know we consider ourselves right. liberal, right? And and so watching this left stuff happened and this right stuff happened. I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I haven't changed. Like they, they're moving these, these things around. And now that I'm paying attention to how extreme, I feel like there used to be a very extreme, right? Of course. Right? Yes. And, and I'm old enough. To, yep. and we I'm used old to, enough to remember George W. Bush years and all that stuff. Yeah. 
And we used to steer so clear of that, right? And and we're not particularly religious, even though I had a little bit of that kind of growing up. I haven't really like worked on that with my kids. And and then, but now I'm, I'm like, is this like a rubber band effect of like how this far left stuff is happening? And I just try to tell, you know, my friends or anybody that I'm trying to have any sort of civil discourse with is you, you can't be getting one side of the story. So staying really firmly in the middle and being really aware of that footing and um, being able to hear both sides of things is very, it, it's its really enlightening. And it gets you starting to ask the right questions. How much do you think that it's its almost like it's not even, um, it's not even like a right-left thing anymore. It's almost more like a common sense versus not common sense thing. Do you see that too? Or is it just? I wish, I, w- I wish it was that. Right, okay. I wish it was common sense. I I'm not seeing a lot. Well, of that's what I mean. Sense. I mean, it's like it's like people like yeah. us who like. I'm not. I'm because I'm seeing people that are so indoctrinated. Yes, exactly. By far left yep. ideology that they've lost common exactly, sense. and it's almost and it's almost like you know how we used to think of the far right or like like people that are old and they're set in their ways and they're always just going to you know be you know, that way and you can't change their minds. Well, that's how the young people are now. Like now, now the younger generation is coming along and we can't change their minds. We can't have a conversation with them. We can't, you know, and, and I'm getting a lot of like feedback about school and parenting from people who have not given birth and they have not parented (laughs) and they have not navigated a school system, but they would like to tell me that I'm doing it wrong. It's it's almost it it's really is almost impossible to try to understand or explain other than to, just to say that yeah there's some form of you know indoctrination or or ideological yeah, it's, possession it's, it's brainwash it's yes. brainwash yep. when you think you can go when you you think you can tell somebody how to parent and how to live their yep. life and and when they haven't done it and and it's almost like well, they know better than us. It's like you wish they knew better right. than you. It's sort of like that moment, you know, when you're a young person and you realize your parents are just people. Right. And yes. It's kind of <laughs> yep. disappointing, <laughs> and it kind of feels makes you feel like you lose your footing. Yeah, a you realize bit. they're just like, like yeah, they're not uh, infallible. They're you know they're just like regular people. Who right. Screw and up. you miss like uh, yeah, sure. I miss being able to like crawl up in dad's lap and know everything's going to be okay and and have him be this like omnipotent being that's just like taking care of things but i'm sorry it's like we see the government problems and issues and catastrophes all the time why would somebody be subscribing to more of it it's yeah and i think like we said the only the only rational explanation is you know just pe- not people not being capable of critical thinking or just being brainwashed or whatever, because to us, it seems so obvious. Um, so just, I have, I will say San Francisco is really great that I have a lot of international sort of a, a very international friend group. And one of my client friends is from, from communist Russia. And she's like, I can't believe what people are going along with. 
I can't believe what people are just like, she goes, this is, this is not the direction you want to go because heading into socialism is only going to lead to communism. And it, you know, we've had like long conversations about this and drawing a lot of parallels to what's happening and giving the government too much power when they're supposed, it's supposed to be the other way around and they're supposed to be serving. It's not supposed to be somebody you're supposed to be handing over so much power and so many freedoms and so much of your rights to. Amen. And I think, you know, I think, um, yeah, there's still people out there with that perspective and there's people out there who remember what it was like living under that system. Um, you know, and it's amazing how, how it really is always amazing how easy it is for people to forget, you know, after some time goes by and, you know, how, you know, it's just, it becomes just like, it's almost like it's a movie that it wasn't real. It never really happened. It's like, it's, it's, you know, this stuff is so becomes so just a part of the past that it's, you know, it's, it's not real. Um, Right. And that's, and I think that a lot of that is the, you know, people coming up and really not knowing their history. And I can't say like I'm a huge history buff, but you know, the boys are and they, and Gary is, and they, and they talk about history quite a bit. And, and, and this is like, now that I'm in my fifties, this is one lifetime. And speaking of movies, like one of the, one of the things that I like to tell people when, when they just don't understand how fast things are moving, right? How fast walk the line. Walk the Line is like my favorite example of here we have like a young Johnny Cash in his lifetime in a shack with a light bulb. And then they're listening to a radio and radio shows. And then they have a black and white TV. Then they have a color TV. Then they're going to the movies. And by the time he passes, his stuff is on high definition, Blu-ray streaming. You know what I mean? It's like, that's that's one life. Oh, I, I, you know, I always say to people, you know, think about how crazy it is, you know, that. Um, you know, the, the first, the first flight of an, of an airplane, right. Was in 1903 or something like, something like that. 1903, (laughs) you know, the plane flew like 50 yards or something and landed or whatever. Um, and within, you know, 65 years we were walking on the moon. Right. I mean, you know, as, as, as far as we know, (laughs) but, but, you know, it's just the, the, yeah, things, technology, everything moves so fast. Um, I still have funny memories of my, my grandmother using the internet, you know, like when it was still kind of in its infancy, but like not having any sense of what it was or how it was working or anything, but like, but like using it, um, and like just thinking like, wow, like, you know, when she was my age, you know, it was like television wasn't even around. Um, there was no TV. It was just radio. Um, right. So speaking of television, radio, movies, technology, um, just maybe here at the end, um, talk a little bit about um, what you guys are doing now and talk maybe talk a little bit about Nerdrotic. I'm sure there's people who are going to be listening who don't know what it is. I'm a huge fan. Um, and, um, you know, just just talk about um, what you're doing now. And, you, you know, I can I can tell everybody you guys are killing it. You're thriving. Um, so just talk about where you're at now with that and where people can find it. Um, OK, so. What I am doing now is I've just sort of taken like a little, uh, a sort of a backseat to my content creator <laughs> and, you know, but in, in a very supportive, 
sort of way. Um, we still have a, a son in school. So that's still something was like getting to Texas, sort of navigating it like the right school for our son who's on the spectrum. Um, I would say, you know, people reach out to Gary, my husband that has the Nerdrotic YouTube channel. And a lot of times they ask him like, how do I do this? How I want to try, I want to try that. I think I could do that. And, and I will say it's the most amazing thing is that because we both come from a place where we are just curious people that like to learn, he had taken a 10 week intensive uh, at SF State on editing. And that is how he just happened to have like all the skill set that he needed to do to do YouTube. So when he had to close his comic book store, sold, oh, he sold it. Um, and he wanted to stay in touch with sort of his community in that way. Um, he started doing YouTube just for fun. So I was the breadwinner, the hairdresser <laughs> slash breadwinner. It was still, I was still head of household. I was head of household for 20 years. <laughs> like people don't really realize that. Like, you know, well, that, a lot of people think and, they're going to start a YouTube channel and you know, it's going to be the biggest thing since sliced bread overnight. Right. It's right. And there's a lot of different ways to right. do it too. Like you yep. could have a sensationalist kind of thing where you hit hard very few times, mm -hmm. right? And your viral video could get picked up, but it gets picked up by somebody else. So, I mean, when Gary started doing it, it was still one of those things where my clients would be like, what do you mean he's going to quit his job and start YouTubing full time? <laughs> Can you make money doing that? And and we'd all just shrug and go, I don't it's know. <laughs> Look, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I have so much respect for, um, for anyone who decides to go into business for themselves, no matter what it is, whether it's starting a YouTube channel, um, you know, whether it's starting a salon, um, it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of guts. There's a lot of risks involved. It's very hard. It's, it's, it takes up all your time. Um, you know, yeah. and I mean, luckily, you have to love it. luckily he was, he, luckily he wanted to take that right. risk because he hated his regular day job and he clearly and, loves it. Look, and I think that, you know, yeah, and no, he, he loves, loves it. it. And, and two, I, um, it was like taking that, taking that risk factor and, and, he just and having it be like the class he took having it be just the right risk to take at that time because when everything shut down and everybody was home what did they do <laughs> I, I i know what i was doing i was watching nerdrotic that's what i that's what i was doing yeah, that's what i mean and you start and you're watching nerdrotic along with a hundred thousand exactly. other people that started like watching and that's when things really really started to take off well that in the end of like Game of Thrones was definitely, you know, a turning point for that project. Well, that's but, when I really I mean, started watching. Um, absolutely was during the uh, the Game of Thrones thing, season eight, all that stuff. And um, I, you know, there's nothing I love more. Like I get really amped watching other people succeed. It's sort of like like when I was a kid and me and my brother would be playing video games, you know, like the old NES, like mm -hmm. Zelda, Mario, that kind of stuff. Like I used to love just like when it wasn't even my turn, like just watching him um, play the game and like would get like really jazzed up when he was doing well. It's the same thing now. Like I just I've loved watching the channel grow um, and seeing how good how good it's getting. I mean, it's getting so good. And I know you guys, you know, you're working on it so hard and Gary's working so hard. And I know you're helping out a ton 
and you're doing a lot too to support that. And, um, you know, I can speak for myself, but I think I can speak for a lot of other people too. Um, it's like, it's often the, like one of the best parts of my week is watching the videos, watching the live streams and stuff. They're so entertaining and mm-hmm. so fun. Um, and so please we pass that along to Gary cause you know, and, yeah. and to you get as those well. Emails all the time, <laughs> get those emails all the time. Like, Oh my God, I had such a terrible week and it was such a good show last night. It's just like brightened my mood. And, and I'm like, and that's what it felt like to do. Yeah, there. no, that's, and look, that's everything. Like you said, you had 200 or 300 bosses, right? It's the same sort of thing. It's yes. like, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and some for myself being in, you know, the, the food industry, you know, and having a, a family run bakery pizza shop, you know, when people tell you how much they love your stuff, it's just, it's, it's it, that's everything. I mean, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the ultimate and that's, it, it's the best feeling in the world. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. This has been such a fun conversation. Um, I think your story is really important. It's important to hear about the experiences of, of business owners and entrepreneurs, especially during COVID. Um, and, uh, I'm going to keep, I'll obviously keep watching Nerdrotic. Everyone go to nerdrotic.com, check out Nerdrotic on YouTube. Um, it's some of the best, especially if you love pop culture and, um, look, and I think uh, now Gary's doing a new show, uh, called Forbidden Frontier. Uh, which is about right. So the Forbidden Frontier is a lot of like breaking down all of the paranormal uh, and conspiracy and what is it, ancient apocalypse? Oh, so theory. awesome! You know they talk, yeah, and and it all sort of stems from him growing up and and listening to talk radio like uh, from Art Bell. Oh, it's so great! Yeah, it, yeah he really, he, I would say he's really hitting all my my like top interests <laughs> here with all these different channels and different shows. But um, yeah, please, if you're listening, go check that out. Um, Melissa, thanks again. Um, This has been great of you to join me. And um, I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Bye. This is the Just Listening Podcast. I got to go. Go where? We just got I got that thing. I got to go. With pizza artist Eric John. Wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together. Okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.